days told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be to your glory. Amen. Peter, Peter, Peter. What are you doing? The gospel writer tells us that perhaps Peter doesn't even know himself. Luke writes that Peter doesn't know what he was saying. Peter is a bit of a hothead. He is impulsive. He's quick to act sometimes before he fully understands the meaning and import of the situation. It's Peter who in the Garden of Gethsemane, after Jesus says the time has come for the Son of Man to give up his life, Peter draws a sword. Peter, what did Jesus just say? When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it's Peter who says, not just my feet, but my whole body also. Peter, settle down. That's not what's going on at the moment. When the disciples see Jesus walking on water and Jesus calls them to come to him, Jesus, Peter jumps overboard. Peter, you're a fisherman. You have a boat. Use the boat to go to Jesus. In today's gospel, we see Peter acting in the same vein. Here he has ascended the mountain with Jesus to pray, and he gets to witness God's glory. Jesus transfigured, shining in bright white light, radiating the fullness of God's glory. And beside Jesus, on one side is Moses, on the other side, Elijah. Moses representing the law and histories, God's covenant with God's people. And Elijah representing the prophets, God's voice proclaiming God's promise of love and justice for God's people. Jesus is in the center of these two, bridging and fulfilling the tradition and the three are audibly discussing in front of Peter the reconciling work that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to do. And Peter sees all of this. He understands the wonder and majesty and importance. And he recognizes and proclaims, it is good for us to be here. Yes, Peter, you're spot on. And then Peter says, let me build some huts. Build some huts? <laughs> Thanks for the huts, Peter. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's and everything's in it. But yes, build huts. Jesus, the Logos, the one who brooded over all of creation since before time began, yes, offered to build him some huts. Jesus, who says that he is going to his father's house where there are many mansions, and he goes to prepare a place for us. And you are offering to build him huts. Got it, Peter. Real smart. 
Peter irks me because he gets this vision of God's glory and he also doesn't get it. He witnesses and experiences it, but then fails to be fully present to that experience. I feel God's response is right in line with mine when God descends in a dark and terrifying cloud and tells Peter, this is Jesus, listen to him. And while it's easy to point fingers at Peter, how he's quick to build a hut, quick to act and missing the moment, it's easy, perhaps more easy, to make the same mistake as Peter, to follow in Peter's footsteps, to build our own huts when we experience God's tremendous peace, that peace that passes all understanding, when we feel that intimate connection with the shepherd that knows his sheep and calls them by name, when we get that spiritual high, when the choir is singing a beautiful, radiant anthem, we may want to build a hut and construct it around it to say, this is God's love. Right here, I've got it. And too often we miss the mark and Jesus is descending the hill while we remain in our fancy little huts. When we empathize with Peter, that's when we realize the good news of the gospel. For we, like Peter, are in transformation, being made into images of God's glory in the world. And even though our transformation is still in progress, we are still able to receive these majestic visions of God's glory and be in the presence of that radiating light. This more empathetic reading of the di disciples' transformation helps us to understand their process and might help us to understand our own transformation. The gospel writer begins with this description of the disciples, which you may resonate with. The gospel writer says the disciples were weighed down with tiredness, but still awake. Weighed down with tiredness, but still awake. Sounds a bit like languishing. They're weary, but anxious. Exhausted, but eager. They have been on a wild ride, ups and downs experiencing God's holiness, witnessing Jesus' miracles, and also facing the rejection that Jesus faced, witnessing the humility that Jesus endures, and coming face to face with their own ineffectiveness. They are exhausted but eager, tired but still awake. We might all resonate with that condition after the experience of the pandemic and being anxious to return to normal. And it is in this very condition that God looks upon the disciples in their mercy, in God's mercy, and offers this transfiguration experience. Now, we might understand transfiguration to be naming how Jesus was changed, the white light and the appearance of Moses and Elijah. But... We also know that God 
is incarnate in Jesus, and Jesus possesses the fullness of God's glory in every circumstance that Jesus enters. So what really has changed here in the transfiguration text that we read today? It is the disciples who are transformed. It is the disciples who are transfigured that they might be able to see the fullness of God in Jesus. And it's their transformation that I want to focus on. The disciples take three postures in this gospel reading today. And God enters each of those postures to invite the disciples to transformation. The disciples are in prayer, they're in reverence, and they participate with Jesus as he descends the mountain. But in an attempt to honor my Baptist upbringing, and especially since my mother is here today, I have decided to attempt to alliterate these three points that I want to make about transformation. So I'm calling them ascension, awe, and action. And it is through these three postures that God invites us to transform into images of God's glory. The first is ascension. The disciples go with Jesus up the mountain to pray. It's a very key point compared to other moments when the disciples see and witness the fullness of God's glory in post-resurrection stories where Jesus shows up so unaccounted for, surprising them. This is they go with Jesus. They draw close to Jesus. It's an ascension, a time for rest, for restoration, to be present with God and just be with Jesus. It's not necessarily prayer in the sense that we are familiar with on Sunday mornings with prescribed petitions, confessions, and creeds, but prayer that moves us and calls us away from the day-to-day and invites us to an intimate relationship with the awesomeness of God. This is the second posture we see the disciples in. They are in awe. When they see the vision of the transfiguration, they immediately know the significance and the meaning and the implication of Jesus communing with Moses and Elijah. They receive the vision as an affirmation because they understand the expansiveness and depth and finality of Christ that they are beholding. Peter tries to jump in and add something to it. And it is here that he is rebuffed. Don't act, listen. You cannot add anything to the glory of God. It belongs to God. But we are called to reflect it, to be images of God's glory, not create God's glory of our own will. The third is action. The disciples descend with Jesus This is not a mountaintop experience like we may be familiar with in other literature where one ascends and then descends with a message from on high to give to the people. No, the disciples' descent is silent. God's command to listen still applies when we are in the mode of action. Immediately at the bottom of the hill, the disciples are confronted by a man with a demon-possessed son. The whole town is held in fear because of the behavior of the boy. Jesus makes an assessment and simply rebukes the demon and heals the boy and restores peace to the people. 
There's no confession or preaching or teaching or action that the disciples needed to take. Jesus simply met the need of the people and allowed them to be liberated. And in that simple action, the people were astounded by the greatness of God. Ascension, awe, and action. Each of these can be a posture, a place for our own transformation where God meets us and invites us to become images of God's glory. Our Lenten Resources book table reflects these three postures. Funny how that works out when the preacher gets to pick the books. I'd urge you to use Lent as a time to lean into one of these modes, ascension, awe, or action. Wherever you find yourself, know that God draws near to you and waits to give you a grace-filled vision of God's glory. If you are in ascent and needing to draw nearer to God away from the day to day, there are devotional books and curated art collections, prayer beads that invite you to draw close to Jesus, daily practices for restoration. If you are in awe beholding the glory of Christ, its depth and expansiveness and majesty, and want to learn more to go deeper into that revelation, lean into that mode by diving deep into a novel or theological text Sit in that one theme of Lent and let the glory of God encompass you. It's good to be there. And maybe you are in action, tired of talk and ready to follow God down the hill into the world, to witness and behold where God is working already. Remember that the descent is silent. The command is still to listen to Jesus. Where do we see God at work in the world? And how deep is that work of God already? Pick up a book about a local contemporary issue and see and begin to see and understand the depth of God's grace and glory working in our world today. Perhaps your own transformation begins with being involved in local issues of homelessness or housing, reconciling ministries or the environment. Pick up a text on one of these issues and your own transformation might begin there. God's transforming work happens in all three of these modes. And indeed, it happens all around us. And that is the good news of today's gospel, that you are being transformed in God's glory. You can bear the image of God's glory, and even as you are being transformed into that, you can be in the presence of God's glory. The gospel writer gives us Peter as an example of a disciple still in the process of transformation. Peter doesn't get it, but through God's grace, Peter is able to witness the transfiguration, even though he doesn't know what he's saying. Instead of listening to God's glory, Peter wants to build huts, Peter's obviously in the awe mode, but he doesn't know how to fully live into that awe mode, awe mode. So God gives them a command, listen to Jesus. God speaks to Peter in the posture of awe. God helps Peter fully live into that posture of awe. Yes, it is good for you to be here, Peter, so be here. Don't start building. 
listening to Jesus while he is still among you. And indeed, Peter remains silent and listens to Jesus and follows Jesus in his ministry to Jerusalem. And ultimately, Peter is transformed into Saint Peter as we know him today, an image of God's glory. God in God's grace and mercy sees us in our languishing and invites us into this process of transformation. God is forming each of us into images of the glory of God. And for each of us, transformation begins and ends in a different posture. And the best part is that even as we are being transformed into images of God's glory, we still get to witness God's glory all around us. So dwell in that radiance. Be present to that light in your life, whatever stage you are in. Seek Jesus. Listen to Jesus. God's glory is shining all around us, encompassing us in this world. Do not fall asleep and do not be quick to build huts. Jesus calls us to be transformed into images of God's glory. Listen to him. Amen.